rest of the book. A few months ago, uh, the, the uh, Sovereign Grace Church's West Region, uh, really this started last year, reached out to all the churches in the West and under a focused initiative decided that we were going to work together to, to find ways that we can be more focused and intentional regarding evangelism at the, at the local level and then unified across the, the entire denomination with doing that. Now that seems like a duh kind of moment. Uh, evangelism is a big part of what we see in the Scripture. But focusing on that together is something that we don't often think about doing. And so uh, Sovereign Grace Churches and us here at Gilbert, we had aimed to start doing this towards the beginning of the year and it seemed that it was good to the Lord that we would pull that forward and start to focus on it now. So today, as uh, Trey said, is the first of four messages that we will bring that we'll be aiming uh, to land on different aspects of how we should be thinking of evangelism. Last February marked a significant milestone for me. Almost nine years ago, I read numerous reports of 21 men in orange jumpsuits standing on a Mediterranean beach, shoulder to shoulder. Days before, these men had been captured by a radical group known as the Islamic State. And kneeling there in the sand as they cried out to their Lord, they were each beheaded for their faith in Christ. I will never forget the moment I first read this account. While ISIS was becoming a usual buzz on the news outlets, this time was different. The execution of these men hit a new nerve with me. It didn't make me nervous to think about what could happen to me for my faith here in the United States. It didn't make me angry that the media was putting it, their death all over the screen, although that was happening. While these things were true, it was, I was in a different place. Something beyond fear and anger. I didn't realize it yet, but I was stuck, and I just couldn't move. I remember distinctly in my room, getting down on my knees and praying that God would pour unhindered wrath on those murderous men. I was stuck. I didn't care about their salvation. I was perfectly aware that they were sinners. And I was aware of what the Scripture tells us regarding their need. And I was even aware of stories of how God's great forgiveness is for people like this. But I didn't want that for them. I wanted these men to face the wrath of the Lamb. And at that moment, moment in my little mind, the only thing that would resolve what I felt was to know that those guys had it coming. I couldn't see it any other way than this. Have you ever, like me, been so disgusted with someone that the, and their injustice that it, would, it feels like it would kill you to see them receive mercy? In a world like ours, many of us don't have to look too far to find these kind of examples, to find feelings like this and who they can be aimed at. Maybe it's an estranged relationship, an oppressor, Maybe it's those who oppose all you know to be right. It could be those who simply just don't see things the way that we do. Maybe it's just someone you don't like at all. What do we do with this? 
How do we as the people of God move beyond our prejudice, justified or not, how do we move beyond it? What do we do when the Gospel pushes further and beyond our love for others? This morning, we will look at a man who was stuck like some of us this morning. He was not unique for feeling this way. It was probably considered perfectly normal. He was, he was ordinary in the sense that he had these feelings, but he was not ordinary in the sense of he was called to go to a people he hated. He was so disgusted with them, and in his own mind, it would be a tragedy for God to do anything other than to destroy them. Each one of them, in his mind, had it coming. And it would kill him to see God spare these people. The book of Jonah is short. It's, it's relatively short. You could read it in a sitting very quickly. But it's often neglected outside of children's ministry and veggie tales. Amen? That's right. So if you're unfamiliar, it may be good for us to revisit some details outside of the whole huge fish thing. The Bible tells us that Jonah was a real prophet who lived during the reign of King Jeroboam. You can find that in 2 Kings 14. We are told that God called him to go and to preach to the people of Nineveh because of their evil. This is probably doesn't seem too big of a deal for us, but it was totally unthinkable for Jonah himself. Jonah was a Jew, and he lived in the promised land of Israel. His people were God's people, and they were, they were covenanted with God. That made them unique, special among all of the world. As a people and as a nation, they would be the people that represent the one true God to the rest of the world. And their home was a place where He dwelt. In their minds, the world consisted of the people of God and everybody else. We know this in the distinguishing between Jew and Gentile. The term Gentile simply meaning the nations. This is the way that they carved things up. It was us and them. And this is the way that Jonah looks as he is called to go to a Gentile people. So, in Jonah's mind, when he thinks of his job as a prophet, he's thinking that he is supposed, he is supposed to remind the Jewish people, not the Gentiles, but the Jewish people of their covenant with God, calling them to be good, faithful Jews. But if anything at all, he would be, for him to go to the Gentiles would be absolutely undesirable. It presents for Jonah an identity crisis of sorts. Put simply, Nineveh and the nation of Assyria represented the opposite of Israel in the mind of the ancient Jew. It was one of the largest cities and one of the worst enemies of the Jewish people. It was part of the Assyrian Empire, and this place was the hometown of the up-and-coming bad boys of the ancient world. Now, you may be wondering why this matters. After all, who cares if Assyria is so bad? Maybe Israel and Judah need to just think about themselves and go on about their business. The problem is, is that Israel is the region that is the best, essentially the best place in all of the ancient world at this time. So for Assyria, getting big and bad and getting more and more noticeable with their military and all their efforts, they have two things in mind, and Israel knows it. 
the biggest, baddest dude is going to pick the biggest, the next biggest, baddest dude, pin him in the nose, and take all this stuff. And guess what the crown jewel is? Israel. And they know this. So as they're growing, and as they're called, as Jonah is called to go to these people that he knows, surely will come to war against them at some point, inevitably. All of this hatred, all of this difficulty, this prejudice that Jonah holds, it's actually based in real stuff. Like many of us, when we think of these people that we may harbor this kind of hostility towards, or this disdain towards, or this, I don't really care about them and their spiritual nature, often it is rooted in real stuff. We're no different than Jonah, but yet the pages will show us that God has something else in mind. When we are familiar, we're, we're, we're all familiar with Jonah's night, three nights in the Sea Life Motel. We all know about this, right? And I think it's easy when we think about Jonah to, to say that that is what the story of Jonah is about. After all, that's probably what we remember from VeggieTales, right? Or, or, or the lesson we heard uh, in Sunday school. But this is actually not the point. The point, I think, is found in our passage today. If you would please turn to Jonah 3. Jonah 3, starting at verse 10. When God saw what they did, speaking of those in Nineveh, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them. And He did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was in yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he could not see, or till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when, uh, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow which came into being in night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, 
that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. Now I know that is one of the weirdest ways to roll off a passage. By the way, there's a lot of cows there. Uh, I promise you, there's a reason for this. I think when we, when we look at this passage, uh, there's a lot of things that are being said. We, we've, we've talked a lot about what's going on in Jonah's heart, and he doesn't want to be there. And if you've, if you've not read Jonah, which I recommend doing if this makes just a little bit of sense to you, but Jonah doesn't want to be in Nineveh, and as we can see from where he stages himself, he is very interested in seeing Nineveh be destructed. But one of the most shocking things that we take and see in this text is that Jonah calls it right off the front and says, I told you this was going to happen. You see, the interesting thing about Jonah among all the prophets is that when we read the Scripture, the prophets are always preaching to a people that seem to need to learn things the hard way. Almost always. God works through them. He, he preaches to them. He says, repent, repent, repent. And guess what they do? They don't usually repent. Not typically. But then you get Jonah. And what happens? He goes, he preaches to a Gentile nation. He preaches to them. And guess what they do? They repent. You think out of all, like, Maybe Jonah just didn't get like an updated newspaper or something, so he's not aware of this pattern. But you would think he would be incredibly shocked that out of everybody that hears a message from the Lord Yahweh, that he would be stoked these folks actually respond. But instead, he calls the shot of the Lord and says, I knew you were going to forgive him. This is bad. This is awful. This right here is absolutely crucial for us to identify in our lives. Because I know many of us in here, are, we are so well taught. Many of us have had the Word, the Scripture read to us from the womb. I am grateful for that. Many of us have been absolutely dedicated students to the Scripture. And we know the character of God because we have seen it over and over again on the page. But I wonder, is the easiest way of beco to become stuck and being passed by the Gospel is because we simply settle with being aware of who God is and what He's like and not wanting to participate in it? It seems to me that we are always at risk, always in jeopardy of simply being aware and not being a part of or participating in. It goes without saying that our passage is a bit revealing in regard to our problem of being stuck. When God's good work perishes, uh, pushes past our care for others, we can easily mix, misdiagnose the problem. In fact, if we're anything like Jonah, we could start to think there's nothing actually wrong with us, that we're not stuck, but we start to think things and be tempted in ways to think that maybe the gospel is just a little too liberal. Maybe it's just a little too forgiving. 
somewhere, somehow, justice is not going to be able to prevail when we let too much grace slip out. This is what happens when we are only aware of what God does and what He's like. I wonder if this comes from a sense of being only aware of the details and never really moving beyond that awareness. Put another way, our problem with being stuck is that we mistake being aware of the sinners around us, assuming that we simply care for them. Or maybe we assume that being aware of God's love and kindness means that we share those attributes because we affirm them to be good. This is all a mistake. Or maybe in our awareness of the Gospel, we think that being aware of it equates to us seeing how it uh, directs all of our life and how we interact, interact with the world in need. However, I think if we hear and see what God is doing in the passage, we can see that these assumptions are probably why we're actually stuck in the first place. It is the limitations of our awareness of sinners our awareness of God's mercy, our awareness of the Gospel, that left alone causes us to be small-minded in our perception of what the Gospel is actually able to do. Look at how Jonah reacts to God's character here. God essentially displays His amazing grace and Jonah's reaction is not to be amazed, but to be devastated. He goes so far as to recall that he was right to run away from God, which was not a good idea, but here he is lobbying, saying, no, that was a good idea. I knew you were going to do this. And the passage helps us to see how messed up this is. The explanation Jonah gives is as close, it's, it, it's such a close-to-home recall of God's interaction with Jonah's people in the wilderness. It's, he is almost exactly reciting God's declaration of Himself and His character in Exodus 34. Where God reveals Himself to Moses after pouring out mercy after unfaithfulness of the, the unfaithfulness of the people. But that's what being stuck looks like. You forget these things. We're aware of these things, but we fail to see and to make a heart connection beyond our own benefit. We look at mercy and selfishly hog it for ourselves while demanding justice for those who appeal to it. When we are only aware, we just see wickedness and we fail to see need for rescue. When we're only aware, we just see God's mercy on the page of Scripture but fail to see its potential in the world around us. When we are only aware, we see a gospel message and fail to see it apply to anything beyond our own problems, in our own circles. And when we are only aware, we get stuck and the gospel blows right past us, leaving us in its dust. And so, how do we break free of this? We break free by recalling the hope we have in the gospel. We remember hope. Like experts in transformation, we are called to remember what God has done and is capable of doing because we have seen it for ourselves in our own lives. And in the church, we have seen it in the lives of those around us. Like Jonah, we could too quickly become content with just being aware of sinners and have no interest 
and seeing them encounter the transforming work of God. This is much, think about this, I am not under the impression that many of us will walk out these doors and never come in contact with unbelievers. Realistically speaking, all of us in this room, sitting in the pews, the chairs rather, I know we don't have pews. Sorry, Zach. You have far more experience rubbing elbows and seeing and understanding what the lost look like than this pulpit will ever be able to see and understand. You know. When you go to work, and all the stuff that goes on at work in the cube next to you, and when you're thinking about dealing with customers and all that that can bring, or you're going to school and you know all the influences that are happening there, to think about all of the stuff that we as a people come in contact with with the world, we are not unaware. We're not unaware. It's not unclear to us what is going on in the world and frankly what that means for their need. We know. What is more of a tragedy for us is that we know that and we are simply content with it being the way that it is. That's tragic. How do we break free from this? Brothers and sisters, we have hope. We have hope. We know hope in a way that Jonah knew hope. Jonah's context in coming to the people of Nineveh is not, is not isolated. If you read his prayer, he knows he's toast. It's, it's unusual to get swallowed by an animal that large and to survive. I've never done it myself, but I don't know of many people that that ends positively for. And when he prays, he prays to the Lord and he knows, my goose is cooked. So when he stands at the gates and watches the people repent, he probably still smells like that thing. He knows himself the mercy and the care and the salvation and the love of the Lord. But he doesn't, he doesn't grab onto it. Brothers and sisters, we are all among non-believers all the time. And we know their need. It's clear. But we have a hope that is secure in us, that we sing about, we boast about, we sit in these chairs together and we cry out together that our hope is in You, Jesus, over and over and over and over and over again. But we, for some reason, are not compelled to take that hope and stop hogging it for ourselves. We must not just hold and hoard our hope. But it must be an ignition point for us to explode and go out to the world and to communicate that hope, knowing it firsthand for ourselves. We must look to Christ who paid our debt. 
and know that those around us whom we fail to love can be covered by His blood just as we are. Hope is an amazing thing. We know all about it. Our, we, we, we hope for that day we'll pay that last bill. We hope for that day that leader we love is going to be put in place. We hope for that turn of events that's going to make work an easier thing. We have all kinds of things that we hang on to for hope and it drives many conversations. But I wonder, what work is the hope that we have in Christ doing in our community? Are we like Jonah and we have like short-term memory or we have this like hoarder syndrome with our hope? Like that's, that's for us? That's not for everyone around us? Or are we being compelled? Lord, I hope that we are being compelled this morning that that hope would be a point of launch for us to see all that God can do in the world around us. This and joining in the work of the Gospel are ways that we can become unstuck. Joining in the work of the Gospel comes when we share God's heart for the world. When we adopt His mercy and love as our own. Not just looking to Him who is all-loving and all-kind and merciful in many, many ways and patient and long-suffering towards wickedness and sin. But when we look at Him and we know His love and His mercy and we experience it, there is a massive disconnect for us if we don't turn to Him being made in the image of Christ and adopt that for ourselves. Reflecting on how He's demonstrated His mercy throughout all of history and in your, in your life, knowing how good it is, and then watching how it assimilates into your life, watching the Spirit reproduce love and mercy we that we, we, we receive and it takes form in us. Let's think about this scene here. Jonah is as good as dead in the fish, right? Like we said. And he prays, and God has mercy on him. He has mercy on him. God has primed the pump for Jonah to walk into that city fully aware and fully encouraged and with absolute confidence to know God is great and can do many things. Even pull me out of the gut of a fish and He will save you and He will do magnificent things. But this is not what happens. What happens is Jonah builds bleachers and he sits on them and he waits for the fireworks. He waits to see if the light show is going to come. And when it doesn't come and he starts to feel any discomfort for himself, ironically, he starts to gripe. And he goes right back to worrying about himself again. You see, the problem for Jonah here, and our problem that we are at risk of, is that we are always willing and ready to receive the love and the kindness of the Lord towards us. And if we were to sit here and to try to just go through the many, many ways that He has loved us, He has been merciful to us, there would not be enough time for us to explain and express all the ways that He has shared this with us. But we are at risk of not just, of, of being 
just recipients and never owners of that love and mercy. You see, going and taking the gospel to the nations, going and taking the gospel to people who need to be transformed, that starts when we look at the Lord God, we see who He is and how He is, and we say, that's not just good, that's so awesome, i got to have that in my life. i got to make that mine. To be able to look at the most wicked and wretched people in this world and somewhere, somehow know that God in His amazing ability and His mercy, His perfect mercy and patience can transform that man or that woman to be something that we do not see currently in this day. You see, joining in a, in, with God in the Gospel work, it forces us to be reminded that the Gospel doesn't stop with us. It has traveled many, many years through many, many cultures, through many, many people to get to you and to get to me. And it's made its way into our hearts. And the Lord turned us from dead to alive. But we can be in jeopardy. And so I worry that we are often at risk of just being content with it stopping there. Rather, we need to be a people as the children of God. We must we must find a place to recognize what He has done, to desire to assimilate to His ways and His love and His mercy and His kindness, to grab onto that hope, to send that hope out in all that we do. And then like His people being changed, like His children, as He changes people over and over and over again, like we see in this church, we must become absolutely obsessed with seeing it happen everywhere. Our last means of keeping peace with the work of the gospel is that as his people we become obsessed with the wonderful works of God. In the last verses of our passage, we find a critical exchange between Jonah and the Lord. Jonah is suffering from a very familiar case of feeling sorry for himself. And after all, he didn't get to see justice poured out on the city of Nineveh. And now he has no shade in the heat either. Now the response of the Lord ends the book abruptly, abruptly, but we must be careful not to miss the message of these last lines. The Lord says to Jonah, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, where there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left, and also many cattle. Again, weird, I know. First, the Lord reminds Jonah of his more outstanding care for the people of Nineveh. His excellent care. He knows Jonah doesn't care for them. 
He knows that he doesn't share the Lord's heart of mercy, and so he shows Jonah that his passion for his comfort is massively outmatched by the Lord's passion for the 120 lives in the city walls. Secondly, he appeals to the fact that Jonah should know better. He should know better because Jonah knows the ways of the Lord, and these don't even uh, uh, and these people don't even know the right from the left, which is an expression which comes from uh, the law, which is to know the difference between right and wrong. That's where this expression comes from. Jonah was privileged to be a prophet of God, but even more so, he was privileged to have the word of the Lord in the law. To know what God was like and how He instructs us. After all, His job is to be responsible for holding the people to the covenant, to keeping it. But Jonah had utterly lost touch. He had lost touch with the message he was commissioned to give. And we need to understand, we need to understand that God has transformed us in Christ. We have miraculously experienced mercy which comes to us in the Gospel message. Do you understand that your faith in Christ is nothing short of a miracle? You couldn't have done it on your own. That's something that God did. We must not lose touch as a people with the message we have received because it is specifically designed to be proclaimed to a world that does not know it or what it's capable of. They do not know, and they keep going in their way of destruction. Do you realize, brothers, sisters, do we realize the message that we actually have? The message we actually hold is for them. It is for them in the same way it is for you and for me. When we're stuck, when we're like Jonah, we forget it. We forget that it's an amazing thing that we're on one side of that equation and not the other. I think this is what pulls it full circle for me when I thought about those men standing on the beach in the Mediterranean. When we think about them, when we think about the people of Nineveh, if you're like me, the place I go is to think I associate with the believers in the jumpsuits that are about to die, or I associate in this story myself with Jonah, who's kind of a jerk. The truth is, is our story in this is that we are the people of Nineveh. We're the ones with the swords in our hands. We do not come out of the womb praising Jesus. We came out of the womb rebelling. And if it wasn't for the preaching, the faithful communication and preaching of the Gospel to you and to me, regardless of what your story is, and God touching our hearts and transforming us from wickedness to righteousness, we would be dead. All of this, this story, all of these scenarios are there to help us to be reminded of what we have come from. The hope we have, 
the love and the mercy we need to assimilate and own are all signs of a work that has been done in us that is outside of our ability and thinking. I am horrified when I, I, every once in a while, I find myself in this spot where I think, Lord, what would, what would my life be like if you didn't rescue me? You ever think about this? It's not pretty. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about not having my four beautiful kids, my amazing wife, or you as a family, or any of those things. That probably is all not in the equation. But the kind of wicked person I am capable of being, if it's not for the work of Christ, that's a terrible thing, folks. We are a people. I want to step back. We are a people that need to remember that the gospel that we have, the good news we have, has actually has and is and will be transforming us until the day of Christ Jesus. That's our hope. We hold that message knowing, and I'm telling you now in case we don't, the world needs to hear it. The world needs to know that no matter what they have done, that finds separation between them and the Lord God. He is strong and mighty and faithful and merciful to forgive because the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. The people in the world that we are horrified by, that we see as absolutely treacherous, that we could go without good riddance to, we need to remember that they need to be transformed by the power of the cross. The songs we sing, they need that. They need to know that the power of Jesus doesn't hit the brakes once we become His followers. It is for the whole world. So, when we think about being stuck. When we think about our hesitation because of our feelings or maybe we're just uncomfortable, whatever it is that's keeping us from stepping into the world and taking the gospel to those around us, let us remember the hope that we have. Let us adopt the love and the mercy of God for ourselves. And let's look to Jesus. Let's look to Jesus who is still transforming us. Let's look to Jesus who has all the power, all the might, who has defeated the last enemy and can conquer the hardest of hearts. Let's look to Jesus and trust that He is good and powerful and amazing enough that even those men, those awful men who across all of the globe broadcast their wickedness and their hatred towards Christ by killing those believers. Let us be a people that know the power of Christ is, is so unstoppable that even hearts like theirs 
can be transformed and call Jesus Lord and Master. I, this, is, this, is a difficult, this is a difficult message. It's difficult because I know that just like many of you, I'm going to walk off those stairs. And this week I'm going to walk into an office building and I'm going to deal with people that are not easy. They're difficult. And I'm going to get so caught up in the things I'm trying to do at work. Or I'm going to get so caught up in trying to get kids to volleyball games or all sorts of different things. Let's not be kidding. Barb does most of the driving around with that. But that being said, it's a, it's a, it's a ruckus. We're going to get really caught up in these things and we're going to, it's going to be so easy to forget that when we come in contact with all these people that we hold the message they need. But we don't just hold it. We are bearing it. It is something that is seated and sits in our hearts and is growing and transforming us day by day by day. Just look around you, church. One of the great and amazing monuments of the church, the body of Christ, is we get to see all that God has done in lives around us. Let's be a people who do not get stuck but remember our hope. Own the love and mercy of God for ourselves and look to Jesus and take a message that we have to a dying world. Let's pray. Lord, I pray we would, Lord, I pray we would see your wisdom in this message this morning. Lord, I pray we would see in our lives the different ways that it, that it is convicting. And Lord, I pray that that would not just be a nice momentary place of amazement, Lord, but that we would be impacted for the rest of our lives by it. Lord, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, as you move through the room, that you would convict each one of us and that you would bring to mind those which you have brought us to that require your transformation and your mercy. I pray that we would look to you, Jesus, that we'd be reminded by all that you have done and the fact that you are still at work in us as your people. We need your help, and we pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.